passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Rewind the dynamite from the most recent sight. A-W, lighting up the fuse. Sit back and enjoy the bubbly. As we hear from John and Waiting. Where we're going, we don't need roads. And if the bug stops here, this thing might blow. Everything you hear, opinions of the show. And if you don't like it, go to the forums and let them know. Rewind to dynamite begins now. I'm John Pollock, along with Mr. Ting, first name Wei. How are you? Doing good, John. Yourself? I'm doing uh, splendid. How is it? Your first, I mean, this almost, you know, it's almost a full week back for you now. How do you feel? Um, exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's a work in progress. We're, uh, <laughs> we're figuring out a schedule that will that will work. Tell, it's, tell it's, me about it's it. Tell me, like, tell me about your day. Like, how do you juggle everything? Uh, listen, the the MVP in this entire thing is is my wife. I I would if 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 not for her, uh, there would be nothing. I would be doing nothing. So first and foremost, um, it's it's just the combination of of trying to get back to work. But like the last time, it was like I, I had an office space to go to, which was you know probably. You know, I I got to get out of, out of the house. It was you know, it's it's just tougher when I'm trying to do this stuff here. And you know, if there's some issue going on, I can't just ignore it. You know, I have to be able to leave and help. And you know, it's just it's just finding all of that with uh, you know, just all the curveballs that uh, a three and three now four week old can provide. Three and four weeks old, man. Not even four weeks. Not yeah. even. Wow. Um, and nonetheless, you still manage to, you know, find the time to provide the news, your constant updates on the website. And of course, um, tonight's review. Uh, yes, I, I, I got it done. So that's, listen, anytime I I get one of these updates done or I'm on this show, listen, that's a, that's a, that's a point. I, I will take that as a win. The, the fact that I, I got it done. I was, I was running behind tonight. I was what? I was a minute late, so not too bad. Oh, not bad at all. That's it's it's normal. So we all thank you for for it. And and again, um, I know it's a work in progress determining the schedule. So, um, please, like, I don't know, let us know if you need help. Oh, I will. Uh, I will absolutely uh, let you know, Mister Ting. Uh, how about you? How is uh, how is the world going for you this particular week? It's been all right. Yeah, it's been good. Um, you know, a pr- pretty busy, productive day. Um, you were signing and sending out a lot of mail today. Yeah, 200 postcards being Damn. sent all ar- across the world to our Double Double Ice Cap and Espresso patrons, uh, sending out some Christmas cards to all of you. So 
It, look for those in the mail, uh, hopefully relatively shortly before Christmas. If you are a member of those tiers and or have been a member of those tiers over the past year and don't get one, uh, I, I suppose until, uh, I don't know, in January, maybe you can you can let me know. Um, but yeah, John and I, we signed a bunch of postcards, uh, hand wrote messages on all of them, and I sent all those out today. So it, it's been it's been something I've been wanting to do for quite a while with a design by uh, Shining Wizards Designs. Of, Matt uh, Charlton, yes, he's got yeah. a new uh, photo book that is uh, currently available. Yes, of eggshells fame. Yeah, b- big fan of his style. So if you go on our social media on our Instagram or Twitter, you'll you'll see the uh, the wonderful postcard he designed for us. Imagine, I, I mean, I know they they uh, do not live in the same country, but when they get together, like imagine those New Japan conversations between Chris and Matt Charlton. Um, I imagine they'd be quite in depth. I mean, both containing, you know, both have a great knowledge of, of that history. Actually, um, we have a podcast in the archives where you can actually hear that conversation of the Brothers Charlton. Eggshells. That's right. Yes. The Eggshells podcast that is still up there uh, on this very feed if you listen and scroll down all the way. But yeah, I, I, I'm i sure they talk about like their fandom and like how they both got into wrestling together. So, you what know, was it? you know what I learned today? What, yep. what our, our mutual friend Rick told me? The um bookstore mutual friend Rick. Oh Rick, like the the um, uh Chinese wrestling audio. Oh, of course, yes, yes, your man. Yeah. So he let me know that um the bookstore next to Korokuen Hall is is permanently closing. Oh, that's unfortunate. Yeah, I mean it's something you and I got to visit it, but but it's evidently some sort of you know major hangout for a lot of wrestling fans. Typically, uh, that's closing down. Oh, that's uh that's too bad. Uh, always unfortunate when you hear about bookstores closing, and I feel that that's going to be a, a, a major casualty in, in all of this is like small chain bookstores. Well, what next, man? TGAIF? I can't go. Everything. I read this. Uh, did, did you read that about that church here in Toronto that is protesting the fact that they are only allowed to have 10 people at their particular uh, venue? It's an indoor church that houses 1100 people at its maximum and they believe that they should be allowed to have their 30 percent allotment uh because uh it goes against the charter of rights and freedoms it's discriminating against religion and that in the scriptures it says that you must have your faith uh and celebrate it in, in person I've I've seen some some of that going around, um, you know, really everywhere. But even in Ontario, and it's not just Christianity and, or, or, ch- or the church that's kind of making this argument. Um, it's this is going to be a big test, like these next few weeks, Christmas. Um, it's this is the worst time to be making this argument, and I'm sorry. Like I, I can only have so much sympathy for those out there. I could make a strong case of any small business that's going through hell right now. Churches, I'm sure. There, listen, I'm not a religious person, but I completely respect those that are that have uh, are part of a, a community. But this is dangerous right now. This is not. This is what Scripture says. This is a life and death scenario. Our numbers are through the fucking roof in Ontario. We are we are doing astronomical cases by our standards, and we just learned a pretty valuable lesson after Thanksgiving, which is only going to be compounded by the Christmas holidays. And we're arguing for stuff like this. Like, this is the grandest test of us needing to say, listen, 
We have to take more sacrifices, not less, and stop quibbling over every inconvenience. Yes, this this year has been a gigantic inconvenience, way more so than most for for others. I'm just I'm so uh, annoyed by some of this stuff. It's just is reckless to me that you're trying to to do this. Like everyone can make an argument that is going to uh, pull at your emotional heartstrings that things cannot be done. But that that goes for everybody. Rant over. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I feel like people who listen to this podcast are well aware of, of I think, how we feel about the whole situation. Um, it's it's an internal question, I think, for a lot of other people. If you're by December of 2020, perhaps still feeling a certain way, I, I don't really know what's going to get get you to change your mind. Um, but you know, many people have limits and Chris, Christmas, I think for many people, you know, when all this, this stuff happened, like I remember when all this stuff was starting to like, you know, um, get discussed in, in China. Cause I, I'm somewhat plugged into like, you know, Chinese news and much of the discussion at that point was Chinese new year. Like that, it takes place typically like end, end of January, February, you know, right when it was still kind of contained, uh, outside of, of North America. Um, and like one of the big concerns was, man, how, how are they going to get, you know, people to not visit family during Chinese New Year? And much of the concern was, you know, uh, I guess citizens following those rules. And, you know, at that point, we were still somewhat removed from it, thinking like, man, oh, man, well, it's just Chinese New Year. Like, just come on, just just, you know, chill out. Now, people are basically faced with like the biggest holiday here, which is Christmas. Mm -hmm. And now they're very much faced with that same dilemma. And I think, you know, in the case of at least what you were just talking about, um, many people finding it, I, I, I feel like I have less faith actually, even in like, you know, this part of the world. Um, you, you have less faith in religious institutions. No, no less faith in the people, um, being able to contain themselves and not celebrate, you know, something as big as Christmas. Well, I think, like, listen, Thanksgiving, like, Thanksgiving to me is like a, it's a significant holiday, but it pales in comparison to Christmas. Like, if oh, there's yeah. ever, if there is ever a several-day period where people are going to feel that it's going to override whatever judgment they've had all year, it's going to be Christmas. It's going to be Christmas, and it's also going to be New Year's Eve. Um, so I'm interested of, like, what what are your options going to be on New Year's Eve? Like, there's not going to be... Like, there's not going to be the same kind of places to go on New Year's Eve, but I, I'm, I don't doubt the fact that there's going to be people that are going to get together on New Year's Eve. Uh, it's just you don't have, like, the, the places to go to, and are people just going to simply get together with, with friends and stuff in, in lieu of going to a club or wherever? I think the answer is yes uh, for many people, but... You know, um, this is also. I'll tell you where I'm going to be on New Year's Eve. I'm going to be in this basement of mine. That's that's where I'm going to be eating Chinese food or something. That's that's what I'm going to do. I'm not leaving this place. I'm perfectly comfortable, like not going anywhere. I don't. I mean, I I understand. Like, man, I'm I, I'm probably very different from a lot of other people that really. I think you know, for whatever reason, require uh, sociability. Um, I do to an extent, but um, yeah, I'm I'm perfectly fine. Like not leaving at all. Anyway, it's um, you know, this all comes at the same time as like you know, of course, the news of vaccines uh being distributed 
is, is, is you know that's that's really kind of making all the headlines right now. So did you hear the name of one of the very first people to receive the vaccine? No, William Shakespeare. Get out of here! Really? Guy's name was William Shakespeare. They're giving it to like the the oldest uh, people <laughs> in in England. There's a guy they, literally named William Shakespeare. They definitely found the oldest among guy. the first. Yeah. So they should only find names of like. I don't know, like people with interesting names to vaccinate all about, first. We have to save all those. about the, uh, the the stories in, involved in in all of this. If if you were presented with the option tomorrow for this vaccine, are you all in? You're taking this vaccine? No, I'm not. You're not really not. I don't want to be the first crop. Like I'm just being honest. You know, I'm gonna give this thing maybe like six months if people haven't grown, you know, a third arm or anything yet. There is a lot of that skepticism of. You know, those that are, you know, it's like, why are we the first country to be having this? It's, oh, no, I, I think, I, mean, it's, I think it's a reasonable concern. I, it, no, if it was presented well, to me, me. Let me explain, John. Like, number one, yeah. I'm, I'm not necessarily somebody who's like uh, constantly in that work environment. Um, and Fair enough. I'm not at higher risk. Like, I've been able to distance pretty well. So I feel like I can't take that risk. There are several people out there, perhaps, who can't afford to take that risk. You know, people who are older, who, who uh, desperately need something like this. I'm not saying if it was a limited amount and you'd be mm-hmm. taking it from somebody more in need. I'm just saying if there was, listen, a, a surplus of vaccine and you were presented with this, uh, yeah, you would, I guess you I would still, still want to wait. I, I, I mean, maybe I'm just a bit, bit of a nat- natural skeptic um, when it comes to something like this too. And also the fact that it was somewhat rushed. I'm, I, I trust a lot of the science that's out there. I trust the fact that it's like, you know, uh, everybody who who created this thing knows what they're doing. They're rushing it for a good reason, and that um, all the precautions are being taken. I suppose um, if if you know all things considered, I, I would probably still wait at least a little bit just to see how people react. What's your prediction on when you and I, same age, same country, same location, will be faced with the the option of getting the vaccine? I'm predicting. By like next September. I mean, that sounds about right. I would, I would say maybe summer. Yeah. Maybe September, something like that. Maybe a year from now. Hmm. Well, vaccines are coming. Anyway. Um... Which is the, <laughs> the AEW special that got turned down. Uh, vaccines are coming. <laughs> That's next year. Let's get into uh, what is uh, going on. I do want to mention that uh, just for the month ahead, I know that uh, AEW, they're, they're plotting out their whole December and January. We may not have Snoop Dogg coming to uh, the post office, but we have a lot of great stuff coming up over the next a couple of weeks. Some highlights will include the annual Christmas show that will be dropping on Christmas Eve. We've also got the best and worst of 2020. And our best of show is going to be dropping on Tuesday, December 29th. Uh, and we're going to be doing a different spin on the best of show. It's going to be a live edition of the best of show with Braden and Davey joining the two of us. And it will be live for all members of the post wrestling cafe. So if you're a cafe member, there's a lot of cool stuff coming up over the next month uh, that I think will be be worth the cafe membership. It'll be live also for Up Next patrons as well. So that, uh, as always, is a joint production between Post Wrestling and our friends at Up Next. That'll take place on Tuesday, December 29th, as John said. Live, released early for uh, for patrons of either of our Patreons, and then released to the public a few days after. 
Uh, we'll also have coverage of both Wrestle Kingdom shows, which are creeping up on us. Probably a lot of news for the Tokyo Dome uh, will be coming out of Friday's show, uh, which is going down at Budokan Hall. Uh, so we will have coverage of that. And later on this week, uh, we've got the British Wrestling Experience dropping Thursday with guest Rich Fan joining Martin and Beto. Way in our live Friday night at 10.15 Eastern Time with Rewind to SmackDown for patrons. And then Saturday, it's the UFC 256 Post Show with Phil and Eric. Sunday, we've got Post Pro Res with WH Park and his guest, Joey Bay, this month. And it caps off with Total Recall with Wei Ting and Pauline for our cafe members to catch us up on Total Bellas, who I just randomly turned on the TV today, and there are the Bellas on the Kelly Clarkson show. Is that right? Wow. They're I didn't everywhere. Know, I didn't know Kelly Clarkson had a show. I didn't know that the Bellas were on the Kelly Clarkson show when I turned it on, but look at that. Were, were they in-studio guests? In-studio guests. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Have you seen much of the Drew Barrymore show? I... Maybe one of the first shows I saw um, th- th- when she had Tom Green on. I saw that. Yeah. So did you know that that interview was completely conducted virtually? I think I knew that, but I, I can't say that that oh. jumped out as – why? Was it presented as not being – as yeah. being like in person? Like it was Tom – so I learned about this later because like Tom Green was actually in a studio in front of a green screen and they super him oh. – superimposed him sitting on a, uh, like the same couch that she had in studio. Um, like, okay. I did, I did not know this at all. Yeah. I didn't know that. that that's kind of cool that they faked it. Yeah. I mean, and, and they didn't really completely try, try to hide it. Like they, they showed you like a behind the scenes scene video of, of how it was all done, but you know, to the untrained eye, like, yeah, like me or you, you wouldn't really know it. So that might be the future. Imagine like just the, technical issues that could come with that like cut 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 and you just have like eight minutes of silence between the two as they're trying to get something back in 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 sync it's like <laughs> or the lag yeah like you know how like skype lag uh what did you say <laughs> even though you're sta- sitting like two feet away from each other drew i've never that love so much and come back <laughs> me it's not bad that and and everybody that was uh, John Pollock doing an impression of Tom Green uh, talking via Skype uh, on front of a virtual set with his ex-wife. Well, uh, join the Post Wrestling Cafe. That was the whole roundabout plug that I was uh, giving out to everybody. Anything else you want to mention, way before we head off to news? Well, uh, on the on the feed uh, right now, yesterday we released a couple of shows. Uh, our Lucha Underground review. From uh, 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 Ultima Lucha number one was our latest release on Rwanda Way. Uh, and I don't know if you've seen or heard about this week's MLW, John, but perhaps <laughs> a bit of a revival of Crazy. a cer- certain Lucha Underground character. We did not time this at all. Robert Frith, our executive producer, did not time this at all. But uh, this is certainly a week where Lucha Underground might actually be making uh, a-, a few more headlines, courtesy of MLW. And of course, Davey and Andrew Thompson also released a review of last night's edition of Impact, a much talked about, the most uh, watched uh, edition of Impact ever on Twitch, and I imagine just uh, in general in quite some time. So look for that on the Up Next feed or on this feed if you just scroll right below. You buried the lead. They also defeated Time Travel on Tuesday night. They had a near two-hour review of Impact posted a minute after Impact. 
and a written report from Davey, like all within seconds of the show Man. ending. Maybe maybe Davey is part of the undead realm and he was able to, you know, just manipulate time and space. Maybe there are multiple Davies. Well, uh, go check that show out and uh, lots of feedback to the interview with Moro Ronaldo. So thanks to mm-hmm. everyone that checked that out. It seemed to uh, a lot of people enjoyed that that chat and getting an update from Moro Ronaldo, who may in a roundabout way have gotten Snoop Dogg a wrestling gig. Uh, you think so? Well, I mean, he had all the buzz coming off of that Tyson fight and all of a sudden AEW's booked him for an appearance in January. I feel like Cody would have known Snoop Dogg from the sh- the show he was on, wouldn't he? No, I'm going to I'm going to believe that it was uh all all Tyson and Roy Jones Jr. that mm-hmm. uh set this uh, set this in motion. I was at first I I was hoping that Snoop Dogg was going to be the special commentator. He's just listed as special guest, but if 2021 has any hope of being a, a marked improvement over this year, it's the need for Snoop Dogg and Jim Ross to call a match together. That would be a dream. Yes. Um, and it, what, what, when is that show? The 6th? January 6th. Oh, it's The, the night against uh, the New Year's Evil show that NXT's doing. Well, it's too bad because, I mean, that's kind of past the deadline of our best of. I'm sure he would be a pay, at least a consideration for best broadcaster. Well, it uh, goes into the file for next year. My question is, on SmackDown this week, uh, will Sasha Banks be coming out with generic music? <laughs> uh probably not for anyone that thinks oh that's a ridiculous idea this is the company that unbooked kevin smith and jason muse when they uh had a cameo on dynamite so let's remember that mm. news one of the first times we are leading off with impact wrestling and uh, i'll get into the uh, the ratings and how the show performed but uh watching the episode wait uh, mainly, uh, what did you think about the the AEW involvement uh, led by the Kenny Omega Don Callis promo? Uh, which, if you missed Impact, they aired a replay of the promo during AEW tonight live, and we got an involvement from Tony Khan with Tony Schiavone. You know, going into the show, I feel like um, expectations were maybe a little overinflated. You know, for a show that I knew was probably the bulk of which was was taped uh, weeks ago, I wasn't expecting a whole lot of. AEW involvement throughout the entire thing i was really just expecting like i don't know maybe like two three minute inserted segment at the end and i think what we got was more substantial than that i thought they did a good job kind of like you know teasing you throughout the show with the shot of the bus uh and just the feeling that this was coming up this was coming up and i think what many people didn't expect was the added um special feature of tony khan talking to tony shivani in front of a paid advertising a la um, you know, the classic, what is it like mid Atlantic, you know, mm-hmm. types of updates that Tony Schiavone used to do. And, and they, they, they've been doing, they've been using that backdrop for online promo work. Oh, they have. Okay. Just recently they've started that. Yeah. Uh, and what many people got, you know, in addition to Kenny Omega and Don Callis was a Tony Khan participating in this invasion storyline, playing somewhat of an exaggerated version of himself on on at least on impact being more of a kind of like you know heel promoter who looks down upon the competition um and i thought it was really entertaining uh i thought he was a lot of fun i thought his little kind of like you know uh digs at impact 
with Tony Schiavone talking about Tony Schiavone's history with with it for one day and then Tony leaving for the next 18 years after spending a cup of coffee there was very fun. Him referencing perhaps wanting to scope out some of the impact tag teams, uh, I think completely tells you what to expect. You know, that plus the uh, interaction with Rich Swan at the at the end of the show where Rich Swan is denied access to um, you know, the, the a certain area backstage because the real champion is here. I think all that tells you to expect a lot more of the, about this crossover than just Kenny Omega. Yeah, I I thought that the my gripe with the Tony Khan and Shivani spot was not so much any of the promo like that. That part was fine to me. It was just the whole aesthetic of it. Like it felt like it was something that was shot for like Southpaw Regional Wrestling. Like with the font on the screen, like to me, it just uh, it, it just looked very uh, infomercial. So, which which must have been the look they were going for, but I just don't know why. So, so I mean, I didn't realize that they were are actually using this for promotional material. But like, is that the tone that they're going for with those other promotional items? Um, I mean, it's more so just uh, it's like a throwback with the backdrop. But I mean, even just with like the very basic generic font that just seemed out of like another era of television. Yeah. Wasn't, that, just, the, wasn't that the point? I guess that was the point. But to me, it's like you are representing AEW. You're not like this throwback company. You're not a nostalgia based company. It is mm. to me like it just kind of made AEW feel kind of cheap. Um it just didn't fit the look of AEW or the feel of AEW in any way. Um, my my guess is that maybe they just had this set, you know, that they were using anyway. And Tony probably just happened to be there and just probably shot this thing in one take. Perhaps. Like, seriously, for the tone of what they were going for, like, we're the big company. They should have done it, like, in the middle of Daly's place. Like, here is this this millionaire, Tony Khan, like play up the role that you're espousing here on impact. Like to, to me, you could just shoot it at Daly's place, make him look like this big shot. Some of it, I definitely think like the, you know, that little paid, paid advertising thing was, was definitely meant to be pretty tongue in cheek. Like just even in Tony Khan's very casual body language, crossing his arms the entire time. It did not like it. It was something that required, you know, multiple takes. I, I think they wanted to convey the idea that it was just like, you know, so kind of like, yeah, somewhat beneath them to like put that much production into it as well. Um, something to convey that this was not perhaps, you know, your typical serious Tony Khan, more of a character Tony Khan. When is Ed Nordholm walking out on Daly's place? I <laughs> uh, don't know if that'll ever happen. I mean, has he ever been, <laughs> has he ever been on screen on impact yet? Uh, he, he, I'm sure he's appeared on screen. Just <laughs> not, uh, <laughs> um we will see what happens next i i came out of the show thinking like there's a decent shot that kenny omega and rich swan maybe that headlines tna's pay-per-view next month man i i I definitely think they're gonna do that match um do you think that they would actually give it to an impact pay-per-view rather than i think it would benefit both companies to actually have that match on a dynamite or something more, you know, with more eyeballs watching on AEW. But if it's going to be for the Impact title, perhaps it makes sense to put it on Impact. Like, literally, for Impact, you would almost want everything to be done on on AEW programming. But, I mean, here, doing the promo, I mean, this was huge. This was the biggest episode of Impact ever on Access, um, just to get into some of the, the numbers here. So um, they did 221,000 viewers on Access, a .08 in the demo, which uh, to put into uh, 
contrast here. We don't have like every single number that Impact has done on access, but uh, Brandon Thurston has done a, a pretty good job of recapping like what data is known. Um, this is the highest number that is known uh, publicly that Impact's ever done on access, uh, topping their first episode on access. Uh, they also, when the show ended on Twitch, they were at over 55,000 live viewers. The previous high on Twitch was 15,449 for a show with Impact versus Lucha Underground over WrestleMania weekend in 2018. So this resulted in uh, 40,000 more viewers than their previous high. Um, They were also very smart to throw the entire episode on YouTube uh, right afterwards for those that don't have access or don't have the Fight Network in Canada. Completely. Absolutely. I think, you know, if you're Impact, this was really the biggest blessing you could have been given. You know, arguably the hottest company... Um, yeah, definitely. The hottest company in North America right now, and their top star, their brand new champion, having just won the title, their his first appearance was going to be on your show. And, um, you know, outside of, of course, featuring that segment, you had an entire show of two hours to feature and showcase your own roster. And I, I mean, I think people watching Impact for the first time in a long time would have probably, in my opinion, left with like a pretty good impression of what Impact currently represents. You know, it it was an episode that showcased a lot of talents that I think people were either familiar with from the past or maybe had heard a lot about, but never really kind of took took the time to actually check out. Um, so I I definitely think it was like a a man an incredible opportunity for Impact and one that you would want everybody to see as much as possible. I also got the uh, the top 10 sports programs in Canada on Tuesday. And while I wasn't expecting, like, if ever there was a week, Impact might crack uh, the top 10 sports programs. You would think this would be it. Uh, they did not uh, – they were not registered in the top 10. Uh, the 10th program was uh, just under 28,000 viewers. But, I mean, it's Fight Network, Fight Network oh. has a much lower scope. So it was like they – I was not expecting that they would be doing that that level uh, of viewership, but nonetheless, mm-hmm. um, the American number that we do have, um, you know, v- very good for impact. And I guess the next question is, way is was there enough on Tuesday um, that there will be a ripple effect that people are going to tune in next week uh, expecting more? Yeah, so really interesting that tonight on Dynamite, we got no more real teases about, you know, uh, tune in next Tuesday on Impact for the next chapter of the story. You got no indication of that. I mean, always on social media, they could do something. I imagine because it's such a major storyline, they will probably do something for it. You know, even if it was just simply like Rich Swan reacting to it or something like that. Something to make it seem like it's a relevant part of this entire AEW Impact thing. Um I, I I would definitely tune in just, you know, to see that. Um, so I, 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 I hope that there's there's something and that it's not just a one week thing. Yeah, I mean, I think you can definitely say that at least of the Anthem era, I would say this has probably been the biggest week for impact of, of this iteration of ownership. Yes. Oh, yeah. Let's move over to Raw from Monday night. They did a million seven hundred and thirty-seven thousand viewers uh, going against uh, the San Francisco Buffalo Bills game that was on both ABC and ESPN. Uh, they also did two hundred and fifty-four thousand nine hundred viewers on Sportsnet three hundred and sixty in Canada. And what was interesting about Monday's numbers are that 
the female audience just tanked this week, while the male audience um, made up a lot of that, um, but didn't completely cover for the losses among women. Uh, with females 18 to 49, they were not only down 22% this week, but over the course of the show from the first to third hour dropped over 20%. Women 12 to 34 were down 24% from last week and throughout the show dropped 28%. So those are big declines uh, both week over week and throughout the show with women. Uh, however, in the male 18 to 49 audience, uh, up 12% this week, while men 12 to 34 were up 24%. So interesting that this show had like very diametrically opposed trends for their male and female audience, but Overall, um, it kind of was even. Like, viewership was almost identical to last week. Uh, the demo number was a 0.51, only down 4%. They were still fourth on cable. So, um, all in all, it was kind of on par with, with the week prior. But when you look at some of the demos, it does tell an interesting story. Right. Yeah. Um... I guess this is clear <laughs> that um, women did not care about seeing... Uh, the fiend Bray Wyatt and Randy Orton. Well, I as a male, I I can't tell you what would have attracted men to it. Um, uh, yeah, I did. I did not want to. I did not agree with my gender uh, <laughs> about that that increase this week. Yeah, I I don't really as usual. I have no idea really what to make of of these sort of trends or numbers. Um, you know, like way I want the, the de <laughs> definitive conclusion of what Monday's numbers meant. To the Fuck, world, I don't fucking know. Like, the world's just, narrative. I just know I watched the whole show. I thought it was pretty shitty. So um, I don't know how the numbers correlate to it. Uh, a few interesting interviews from uh, the past couple of days. Today, Wednesday, uh, Bill Goldberg uh, was on WWE show The Bump. And the notable thing was that the guy was clearly angling for a match with Roman Reigns. Uh, you know, obviously that was the plan for WrestleMania this past year. As we're looking a few months out, and you're looking at the available options for Roman Reigns at WrestleMania, where would a Goldberg match rank among interesting options uh, for Reigns, who will obviously be in a prominent match uh, come Mania? For me, personally, very low. Um, I think we are really... Shit, Goldberg was at WrestleMania this year, dude. And like already, I think, you know, even this past appearance, people weren't necessarily weren't necessarily clamoring for his for him to be there i think you are seeing more than enough backlash against him for taking up a spot that otherwise would be going to a, a full-timer and we're talking about a roster this year like it's not like they don't have other options i think they do have other options especially when it comes to this roman reigns and how fresh he is you compare him with a Daniel Bryan. That to me could be a WrestleMania level event. Uh, of of course, you know the the rematch against Drew McIntyre. That in itself is enough to you know be more of an interesting match on paper than a Bill Goldberg match. Probably be a way better match in execution as well. Big E is an, is another name. So it's not like they don't have options this year, and it, they have in fact so many options that I think going to back to Goldberg and Reigns would turn a lot of people off. Do you think that that's a match that at some point? Forget WrestleMania that they will. We, we do know Goldberg. He did release the details. His contract calls for two matches per year. And given, you know, what the guy's making, they're going to be big matches. I do think it's a match they'll get to at some point. I don't dismiss it for WrestleMania, but I do think it's one that they will pull the trigger on at some point next year. I agree. Just, I, just because it was in the plans. Yes, I agree. Uh, you know, the fact that 
you, you do have a fresher Roman Reigns character right now going up against a babyface Bill Goldberg. Uh, I, I, I don't think it's a bad match to make at all. I think the optics of putting another Bill Goldberg match in a title program, if Roman is still champion at that point at WrestleMania, is just a really bad sign, especially if you're trying to be a company that, you know, is... I, I hope that they're trying to shake the, the uh, perhaps, I don't know, reputation that they're a company of old retreads every single WrestleMania cycle. Like, save Goldberg for Backlash. Save Goldberg for, you know, your B-level shows if you want to get get some added interest to those. But leave WrestleMania for your new stars because you're at actually at the point right now where there's enough interest in your new stars. Uh, CM Punk was also on Renee uh, Paquette's podcast. and Oral no talk- Sessions. <laughs> Oral Sessions, yes, which was a name that uh, CM Punk openly mocked uh, t- to Renee, uh, a questionable name for the podcast. But nonetheless, she's she's running with it. So good for her. Uh, so it came up about the idea of Punk ever coming back. And you know, he he stated that it would take a great idea and a lot of money for him to do another match. My question is, uh, where where right now is for, for either side? Like, WWE, I just see there being so many hurdles to imagine that that could possibly happen. I, I don't know if, like, either side ultimately want, wants to make that happen. I guess on the AEW side, um, I would say, like, things have kind of simmered down on CM Punk. But I also look that this company is getting very aggressive about doing things that are going to wow their audience. And Punk is always going to f- fall into that column. Absolutely. Um, I think I think the market's wide open for him from either company. You know, um, I certainly think WWE, we've seen in the past, like any sort of bad blood, Vince is able to forget if there's money to be made. And I think there's still definitely interest in CM Punk. Um, Which, I, uh, like sorry. how much faith do you have in Punk? Like, let's say WWE could, um, you know, they, they obviously could make the offer that mm-hmm. would qualify for the money offer. A lot would have to be done to kind of, uh, you know, get the sides on the table. But Punk, I mean, he said, like, you know, if the right thing came up, he'd do it. But, you know, granted, like, for a generation, the biggest idea was, the biggest get was trying to get Bret Hart back. And after all that time, the angle that they had for him. And I'll say a giant squandering has been Brian Danielson's comeback. Like, he's in a fine position, but when you go back to that announcement that he was returning, I thought this guy was going to be, like, just the biggest star in the world. How much faith do you have that Punk could be a a real significant player in WWE versus, you know, trepidation that he would come back and either just be a guy or would not be utilized to the the most uh, effective role. If we're talking main roster with the same people in charge, um, I think it'll be like all those other ones. You know, he'll be hot for the first couple weeks. He'll be hot for probably that pay-per-view. And then he'll just be another person um, there. I, 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 their track record tells me that they, there's no way. Um, I, I do think the program to make though is a hundred percent right now. Reigns and punk with the history of, I wanted to call the shield up and not have you. Plus you've got the Heyman factor in there. And this is the guy that pretty much took over when, when punk left. I think that would be the program right now. That would be cool. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think who else, like if we're going to, what, what fantasy book CM punk 
with current main roster WWE. I don't have a long list on the WWE side, like of the big match to make. Like, who are you looking at, Hunter? Oh, God. I want Seriously. See, <laughs> I want to see something fresh. Like Punk and Danielson, like that, I, I don't think that would be exciting to for Punk to come back for. Uh, like, honestly, I, th- I think Reigns is the program. I think the Bray Wyatt match, I think, would be interesting. You know, uh, CM Punk now himself, a horror movie actor, might have some some interesting things to do with the CM with a with with a fiend. You know, if we're talking a fiend who can psychoanalyze so much of the history that Punk has gone through over the past year, or sorry, past seven years of his absence. Um, if if we're talking about the fiend at his best, that paired with the CM Punk with a real life Phil Brooks, I think would be really interesting. Uh, of course, like you know, people accept like Rollins. Sign on that one. <laughs> sure, maybe not. But you know, people like Seth Rollins. We haven't really seen that match. Um, yeah, Drew McIntyre. Like you can kind of name them. Anyway, I, I, I'm. I'd be far more like um, optimistic if we were talking about CM Punk perhaps making an appearance in NXT. Uh, for the amount of money that he's probably asking for, I can't really see that happening. But um, you know, maybe they at some point feel like NXT needs to take that next step up and really needs that shot shot in its arm. Like he would be to me a great fit for that. But um. Yeah, I you know I I get the sense from CM Punk that yeah maybe he's not completely like begging to come back, but he's not saying no either. Um, I think he's still very much like testing the waters. Even doing an interview like this, you know, he'll probably just say yeah, just doing it a favor for a friend. But I th- I don't think he's dumb. Like I think he still wants these offers to come in, and you know see what his options are. He was also uh, very dismissive at the idea of any kind of union. Uh, of the talent getting together. I mean, that was a very quick and easy answer that he had, which I, I can't say I, I disagree with his thought process there. Like, I would be stunned if that could happen. And here we are, just several weeks removed, Way It's not like this is a giant topic of conversation. Nope, not at all. Yeah, um, the world moves on, right? The last story we have here is uh, an MMA story, and that was uh, reported by Ariel Hawani that Anthony Johnson, who has been retired for almost four years at this point, he has departed the UFC and has now signed with Bellator and will be joining their light heavyweight division, which that in and of itself is amazing because if you have seen Anthony Johnson over the last couple of years, uh, this is a man that has gotten very, very large. So to see him get down to uh, light heavyweight is going to be uh, quite the feat. Um, I thought it's, he it's retired. A, yes, many fighters do retire. Uh, my question to you, Way, is that are you aware that you covered his last fight in Buffalo in April of 2017? Was that the retirement? Fight? Yes, that was his last fight. That's where he announced in the he was he got submitted by Daniel Cormier and then he announced his retirement in the octagon immediately afterwards. And I remember like we were in the back and there were like people around us that like just were, were not expecting uh, this, this to happen. So it seemed like Johnson kind of just uh, threw this out there and said he had some other business going on and. And that was it. And this was not like a short-term thing. He has definitely flirted with returning over the last while, but now he has a concrete deal. And it's a signing by Bellator, which they have, you know, there have been some names that have come up that they have not pursued, but Anthony Johnson will be joining their light heavyweight division. What was that business he ended up? He Sorry. got involved in like a, like a marijuana dispensary. Oh. But he was being so 
uh, vague about it and cryptic, but he wouldn't let the cat out of the bag what he was going to be doing. So everyone was just speculating, like, what's this guy doing? And that's what it ended up being. Well, um, that, that's, you know, I, I suppose a retirement of, what, three years? I mean, that's that seems like an eternity compared to most, so. Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, after all these retirements this year, I mean, John Jones, Conor McGregor, it's, it's nice to see some fighter <laughs> coming back now. Yeah. 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 <laughs> we'll save that for the end of the year. Like the, Best the careers that have ended, uh, the MMA careers <laughs> that have ended. All right. All of your news you can find at postwrestling.com. We go on over to Wednesday's edition of Dynamite, taped last week at Daly's Place. And Jim Ross starts the show calling last week the most successful Dynamite ever, putting it over uh, very strong. And we go right to the ring for the non-title match involving the Young Bucks against Jack Evans and Helico, which the last time the Bucks were put in an opener with Top Flight, uh, it did a tremendous number. So going to the well again with this, they had the Bucks interviewed by Dasha, who are going to deliver a super kick party. And then when asked about Kenny Omega, they have had no contact with him all week, but he is their best friend. Interesting, their whole angle uh, about all this. I mean, you know, the Kenny obviously healed now, but the Bucks clearly aren't at the moment. So um, it teases some further development there. TH2, Jack Evans and Angelico attacked them before the bell, and then we just got right into it. Uh, Nick dove over Matt to the floor. Uh, Evans then kicked off the back of Matt as Angelico was holding him up and backflipped to the floor. That was very impressive. Uh, just a ton of insanity here. There was uh, Matt powerbomb Jack Evans onto the acclaimed, who were ringside behind the guardrail, and then Evans followed with a springboard 450 onto Matt as TH2 has the advantage. We have Nick scale to the top, and they hit a doomsday device to Jack Evans on the ramp. There's a double super kick onto Angelico for a two count. More bang for your buck gets interrupted when Angelico gets the knees up. Jack Evans fires back with a poison rana, and then Angelico applies the Navarro death roll onto Matt, who's got the injured knee. Evans uh, misses and lands on the floor, so Nick climbs up and hits a swanton to break up the submission. I believe this was the spot that uh, Jericho actually referred to on his podcast today that he pulled Nick aside to like give him some advice on, like, why are you doing a swanton to break this up? Just run in there and break the submission up. You don't always have to be doing uh, something like this. I assume this uh, was the spot. That would make sense. At the same time, it's like, has he ever seen a Young Bucks match? Well, I mean, that that's like the argument, too. It's like sometimes the stuff can work, and it depends on, you know, the timing and the situation. If like, I, why why if, would you do a somersault flip into a the dude with a tombstone pile driver when you could just, I guess, jump and or let the guy hit up a tombstone pile driver? I don't know. It's just like I, I when I watch a Bucks match, I just kind of throw, like, those logic things out the window. Well, if I ever had a really bad knee and someone applied a Navarro death roll on me on Young Street, um, I just want you to come and nail the guy. You wouldn't have to, like, climb onto your car and then signal to the uh, the onlookers and then do, like, a 450 onto the guy. Uh, noted. Thank you. So Evans goes for a Sasuke special, and in landing it, 
he catch he's caught by Matt in the tombstone position for an indie taker on the floor. They get into the ring, they double super kick and helico and finish him with the BTE trigger. Eleven minutes and forty eight seconds of nonstop action. I thought this tag match ruled. I thought it was so fun. You know, uh, having done your your job for uh, three weeks, John, I I realize how much work it is, how much more work it is to like take notes for the pay by, play by play. So I never envy you. I especially don't envy you for a match like this. <laughs> this one um, was nuts. It was it it was so hard to just even keep up like with my own notes. I can't imagine like trying to like you know note these little things here and there. What a match! Like it's a match to me that you know reminds the world why the Bucks are so deserving of all their successes. Like you you know yeah you could cite the Bullet Club. You can like BTE Hot Topic. All these things would be meaningless if they weren't incredible performers in the ring. Every time they wrestle, and it's not as often anymore, but still, like, you know, every time we see them, it's spectacular. I think that's good. I would not want these guys weekly. Like, it's it's special still when the Bucks wrestle, I feel. And, the like, typically, like, their, their, their matches, the ratings reflect that. Like, it's it's a big deal when the Bucks wrestle. Totally, totally. Um, best TH2 match I've seen, uh, on Dynamite at least, you know, it was a match that completely highlighted their skills and their chemistry with the Bucks as well. Matt also continued to remind us about that ankle injury and, of course, also teasing a future match with the acclaimed here. Yeah, like this this was easily over four stars. No no issue at all. Uh, I thought this was just a fantastic uh, tag match for the 12 minutes. Uh, Best match on the show, in my opinion. Oh, easily. Yeah, easily. Um, so the acclaimed are pissed off afterwards. They jump the rail and you think they're going to be going for the Young Bucks, but they're thwarted by Christopher Daniels and Frankie Kazarian. So... Uh, the long-term destination will be getting to the Bucks and the Acclaimed, uh, but the in, the immediate future, it's going to be Daniels and Kazarian against the Acclaimed next week, which is a match I like a lot. It'll give Max Caster and Anthony Bowens like your eight to ten minute match, and I expect they go over on like your veteran tag team. So I, I like that match for next week. I like it too. It's a good kind of first step for the Acclaimed on their path to the Bucks. Um, they must have a lot of faith in in the Acclaimed to like you know give them a several weeks build to uh, you, what you might assume to be at least, you know, a non-title match or at least their way to a title match. It, it's a big spot for the acclaimed. I definitely question why they're being promoted as heels when I think the act is such a babyface act and they're both, you know, really entertaining in a babyface type of way. But then you also look at this roster and if you do want to eventually get to that match with the Bucks, I mean, they kind of by default have to play, play those heels, don't they? MJF was with Wardlow. He said that Orange Cassidy makes a mockery of this industry, and tonight he's going to upset the not-so-smart marks, and he's going to hurt Orange Cassidy. Hmm. We got a a very avant-garde video with Darby Allen, shot in black and white, as this counselor was showing him images of the different Team Taz members, asking Darby what he sees in these images, referring uh, to... R- Rorschach photos. Yes, referring to Will Hobbs as the snake in the grass and Brian Cage as a puppet. He says, Starks is the man that tried to end his career. I've dealt with shit like that for 27 years. And then the last picture is one of Sting and Darby just laughs. So, and that was the the backdrop here of, of teasing something with Sting and Darby Allen in this and in the following segment. You know, these segments to me, they're they're almost always cool looking, but they often leave you feel you're asking like, 
why <laughs> like he's doing something crazy like he's falling from like a forklift into a i don't know pond or like just getting himself into like a i don't know wheelbarrow and rolling himself down a jumping off a hill. bridge so stuff like that but this was cool looking and it was pretty comprehensible you know it, it, it i it made to- a total sense like it, it's just a scene of him and all he can think about is team tennis i mean the last photo really i thought con it's hard to think about anything else but sting too but th- this was done tastefully it was effective in laying out his storylines i thought this was really good like it, it's so different from your typical pro wrestling backstage skit tony shivani's in the ring and they bring out cody and arn anderson and Cody has asked his thoughts about Sting arriving, but before he can answer, the lights go out and Sting makes his grand entrance. Arn has to go up close to make sure he's real, and he understands that both men have an agenda, and he's just going to depart. So he leaves, Tony goes to leave, but Sting says, Hey, Tony, and he gives him just the biggest hug, and he thanks Tony for all he's done in his career, and wants him to give another it's Sting! And Tony did not let anyone down, and this was awesome. I love this. Like, this had really nothing to do with any sort of storyline whatsoever. Um, and In fact, these were Sting's first words in AEW. So, you know, Sting's first words in AEW were nothing about uh, storylines. It was nothing about, like, being this kind of dark, mysterious character. It was saying, t- asking Tony Schiavone for a hug which is just so awesome. It was a wonderful bit of nostalgia and told the audience that this company has a great reverence for WCW history. You know, cult connections like this have largely, I think, been kind of forgotten in the mainstream with WWE's dominance. Like, none of this would ever occur, of course, if it was like a WWE thing. Sting's history might as well have began in like 1997, if you're talking about, you know, uh, WWE's version of Sting. But something small like this means a lot to the last WCW fan. You know, it was the type of fan service for the type of fan that that's really been ignored for 20 years. I could have been reminded, though, that Sting was a big fish in a small pond a few times. Oh, God. Like, two weeks in, and it's already like night and day, the treatment. Cody thanks Sting for the assist last week. He's waited to share a ring with him for a very long time, and... Sting tells Cody, I'm not here for you, at least not now, and says that there's something really familiar about this place, and he looks up into the rafters, and there, seated by himself, is Darby Allen. He says, the animals here are the same, and this is the jungle. And I was getting ready for Guns N' Roses to take Sting out, and he says, the only thing for sure about Sting is nothing is for sure. I'm signed to AEW. I plan to be around here for a long time and says that what I do, Cody, is my business and I'll see you around, kid. And that was it. He just walked out and not a whole lot of, you know, uh, substance in terms of what is next for him. But what what did you think about this in terms of uh, delivering on the first promo from Sting? Well, I I know what you mean in that, like, you don't really get a sense of well, I mean, he did say that, like, he, he has a sight, sight set on Darby Allen. You, you had teases of stuff. But, um, yeah, he didn't. But not like say, a big angle that's, you know, 
putting you in a taking you in a in a an immediate direction. Yeah, he didn't challenge somebody for a match at like that New Year show or anything like that. Um, but I think as a first appearance, it gave you enough, but not too much. Um, and I thought it gave you plenty. It, like you heard Sting speak, you heard what his character essentially is going to sound like. It's not just some quiet, mysterious, non-speaking character. He just played basically the Sting that I think everybody has always loved. Just full of confidence, full of fun, you know? And to be able to experience Sting's arrival through Cody's lens in the ring. Like, Cody, who at this point has kind of really built himself up to be this, like, you know, leader of the brand. Incredibly confident. Seeing Sting arrive with Cody in the ring from his perspective made you feel like a little kid the way Cody looked up to Sting as a little kid and made Sting look like all of our childhood heroes, whether or not we grew up with Sting. So I I thought it was a wonderful little segment that just, I don't know, draw drew some like great connections here. Team Taz, including newest member Hook, are in the back. And Taz said that Tony Khan's Golden Boys were saved by Sting last week. Hook is now training with us at the dojo, and we're always ready to beat someone's ass. Yes, so Hook is now uh, has left the Nightmare family, I suppose. Yes, and Cage just had to get a get his line in there too. Who better? Yeah, he can't be the quiet guy anymore. No. Uh, so just a, a very brief segment here. So. All, all these talking segments are very brief. I mean, they clearly, I mean, it's kind of been talked about, but they want to get to in-ring action as fast as possible on these shows. The next match was FTR against the Varsity Blondes, Brian Pillman Jr. and Griff Garrison, who they noted have won three of their last four matches on AEW Dark. Uh, Jim Ross summarized Brian Sr., who was a great athlete, but he was crazy. They double-teamed Pillman after he missed a reverse cross off the turnbuckle and was hit with a powerbomb. Tully slaps him on the floor, but then comes back with a springboard shoulder tackle to Wheeler, makes the tag to Garrison, who I think has a lot of potential as as a babyface, especially in a tag scenario. He hit a series of splashes in the corner, hit a double spear, and then Harwood sidestepped a springboard from Pillman to hit the Brain Buster, followed by the Goodnight Express onto Pillman and FTR. Gained the victory, but I thought even in short fashion here, I I liked this as a showcase for the Varsity Blondes too as a team. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We had a showcase earlier on for the Bucks, and here, you know, a showcase for both Varsity Blondes and also FTR. It was a match in style that was almost like the polar opposite of that Bucks TH2 match, but I thought good in its own way. I liked the Varsity Blondes a lot. Like, I don't know if it was just having seen Sting in the prior segment, but like, this team looks like it's a team directly lifted from like WCW Saturday night in like 1993, like just down to the hair and just even the way that they work, you know, like Griff Garrison, like, like he, you could tell me that he was like Van Hammer jr. Teaming with Brian Pillman jr. I'd believe you. Well, right down to the homage. I mean, this is right out of WCW 93. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, I look forward to when like Brian Pillman can actually be a full-time wrestler on AEW because this is definitely the commentary team and like the right environment that would give enough background on his, you know, family's history in, in, in already in this little, little brief glimpse, you, he was made to feel pretty special. Then FTR got into the face of Jurassic Express, so that looks to be our, our next uh, tag match for FTR at some point with whatever iteration of the team we get. 
Alex Marvez caught up with Hangman Page, who is having a drink. He's got a six-man tag next week against Matt Hardy and Private Party, but he's got no partners. So Alex Reynolds and John Silver appear wearing cowboy hats that they borrowed from Kurt Angle, and Page turns them down as partners, and Reynolds and Silver counter by asking, well, who else are you going to get? Page acknowledges, that's a great point. So... You can be my partners, and that is the six-man tag next week, which I would imagine is going to be the uh, the dissolution of Hardy and Private Party. Has to be by this point. I mean, he's already like so so heelish. He eliminated Isaiah Cassidy last week, so I think this would be the point where you, you have you – know, this should really just be a backdrop for this Matt Hardy character to break away from Private Party. And a bit of, you know, more ramping up of Paige with the Dark Order, too, who, I mean, it's a story that I think has largely been taking place on BTE. Um, and, yeah, I imagine in the next few weeks, you'll see more of it on uh, more of the storytelling on TV. Then we had 10 taking on Dustin Rhodes and Lee Johnson is in Dustin's corner. 10 got a spine buster in, uh, but then a flying knee sends him off the apron and Aaron Solo reaches over to grab 10 and he gets knocked down on his ass. I think completely justifiably. Don't yeah, you can't do on. that. Why did he do this that? Was, this was, uh, yeah, you're a fan. So 10 had every right here to just knock this guy into next week. I, I, get, uh, I don't know. Which, which he literally did. He he knocked him last Thursday into this week. You're Yeah, sure. You're right. I don't know what this was really for. I don't get the sense that we're going to see Aaron Solo and Ten engage in a long-term feud on Dynamite. I mean, this was probably just another thing for, for Dark, right? Or BTE? Uh, most likely Dark. Rhodes attacked and hit the running bulldog, and he won in 249. This led to Dark Order coming out, and Evil Uno says we can't change the past, but we can improve the future. He invites Dustin to join the group... But notes, you're right now you're only the third most important roads in the company, and you can come and be seven. As soon I, as he I said, laughed, that dude, was so as, great. As soon as he said seven, I I just like I this was the most WCW edition of Dynamite I've ever seen. <laughs> Between Sting and like a callback to seven, like it's one thing to call back to WCW in the early nineties, but when you're Picking stuff out from Vince Russo, WCW, <laughs> like you're really going for someone that can remember this stuff, which for those that maybe do not remember, this was the character Dustin Rhodes debuted, which was like this crazy look that he had. And I kind of liked the character, but before it had this cool entrance into the ring and I thought it was like, okay, this is kind of neat. And then by the end of the promo, he rips off the mask and he says, I'm not doing any of this bullshit and I'm Dustin Rhodes. It's like, okay, well, that was a lot of effort to just piss on this new idea. I think Seven would be such a great fit in the Dark Order. Um, I mean, obviously the the number thing, but I think the look totally works for the Dark Order. So I I think we could finally tell the backstory of Seven. But I mean, wouldn't WWE own it? Um, I don't know if that's one that maybe would slip through the cracks. I think the copyright for seven was, is up for grabs. <laughs> They'd be like, take it <laughs> more harm than good. Uh, he teases accepting, but he just slaps the shit out of evil Uno. And Uno says, when you see the light, you'll be begging to join us. Then we had the big sit down, Tony Schiavone 
with Brandy Rhodes and Shaq. Yes. DJ Diesel himself. DJ Diesel himself. Where are you at? I'm a, I'm on dynamite. I hate to brag, but this is my network. So let me in. Let me in. It's going to be game over. And if any of you want to do a match, I'll be gigging on them. Are you a roughneck way? Was that a a Shaq song? Dude, those were the the key hits. I had no idea. I didn't I didn't know. Well, what? I I tried way. <laughs> what I was really the name tried. of that song? Uh it, dude, what was the name? These are these are all uh, hits from him. Shoot past <laughs> slam. Oh, I know that. Uh, one. I know I got skills with a Z. Where you at? What's up, Doc? That's yeah. from Space Jam, right? Yeah. So there you go. Was it from Space Jam? I don't know. I don't know. I've never seen Space Jam. What? I never saw it. Never saw that? Never saw Indiana Jones. Kill me. Shaq Diesel, Shaq Food, The Return, You Can't Stop the Rain, and Respect was his latest album. Oh, he's had a, the man has had an incredible life. Yeah. Dude, do you know how many copies Shaq Diesel sold in 93? Platinum? He was platinum. Million, million albums sold. It does, doesn't surprise me. No. Let, less so for Respect in 98. A paltry 104,000. Twism, man. Twism. Oh, then we've got compilations. Did the soundtrack for both Kazam and Steel. Of course. Classics. Mm. Well, Shaq is a big fan of Jade Cargill. And... He doesn't appreciate, though, what Jade did to Brandy's arm as she's sitting there in a sling and says that Shaq wants to see them have a match on Dynamite. Mm -hmm. Okay. Shaq then says what he said about Cody on Twitter. That was me just joking around. I respect Cody. I respect his father. And as Brandy gets up to leave, Shaq says... You know, you could get some pointers from Jade. And Brandy says, are you being serious right now? And she gets a glass of water and just tells Shaq, I'm sick of this shit. And spills water on Shaq and calls him an asshole. This was the last idea I had for Shaq and his involvement on this show. And by the end of it, I think we're getting a mixed tag. Um, okay. I could see I think that. that's the big match. I I guess I could see that. Man, even that I think will be really risky. <laughs> Especially when one side is Shaq and Jade Cargill. Sure. Um hmm. That that definitely would make sense. Um Cody I, will be quarterbacking that one. Yeah. I I guess I'm not even completely sold that Shaq will actually be in ring, but maybe man. not. I, I can't say like this angle, uh was driving uh, a whole lot of interest in that direction. I thought this was a big letdown. Uh, and if you had any expectation of Shaq doing something big uh, on the show, which this was, you know, I think after the tease of Jade Cargill's promo with Cody, um, people were at least interested to see how Shaq would be utilized on this show. But I, I can't say that this had the wrestling world uh, reacting in any high volume. My assumption is that they had commitment from Shaq way back, you know, when Jade Cargill cut that promo, but probably weren't able to 
get a proper date for him to come in to actually shoot an angle. And maybe at some point in the span of the last week, they're like, oh, he's free. Okay, let's rush to the studio right now and shoot this so we can insert it into last week, uh, the, the tape show that we shot. It it did not feel perhaps as you know well put together as maybe, or well thought out as maybe some of your other AEW angles. For one thing, I didn't really understand what Shaq was saying here, okay? Shaq said he didn't appreciate what Jade did to Brandy's arm, and yet he wants Brandy to take pointers from Jade? For how to break people's arms? I, I didn't know what this was about. I okay, he's he's a fan of Jade. Didn't like what she did to Brandy. Brandy is if we can recap the amount of time she has been a babyface and a heel, my head would spin. Well, that's another issue. But even Brandy's like water throw at Shaq, I didn't necessarily feel like it 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 it, it came at a point of escalation in the conversation that warranted it. You know, like take some point. Anyway, I, I, why are we even dissecting like something so casual? But it's the point is this should be like a major part of the show. If Shaq is involved in any way with something moving forward, I, I, I guess the in the end, it's like, you know, the thing that people are going to remember, the thing that they're going to replay uh, is water being thrown onto Shaq by Brandy. I bet you right now, if you searched on, you know, your GIF search search platforms, it's it's probably probably already a GIF. Um, just getting Shaq on TV, I think. I mean, is the biggest thing here. Well, the inner circle came out, and Jericho said that there's a lot of shit that's been going on. Did you know they can swear on TNT? Yeah. Did you know that they could swear on podcasts too? Have you heard oral sessions by Renee Young? Man, every sentence from this like from this woman, now that she's out of the WWE system, every sentence is like contains a fuck or a shit or or something. You know how much more entertaining the kickoff shows would have been without a filter? <laughs> uh yeah, sure. Truly it would be unfiltered with Renee Young. JBL, we got a fucking <laughs> cage match tonight. This sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So Jericho said it was embarrassing last week. There was pushing and shoving. We're not on the same page. Santana is so pissed. He's not even here this week. So MJF takes the microphone. He says, I love all of you. I think I might be the issue. People online think I want to break this group up or take it over. I chose to join this group to be part of the greatest faction in all of wrestling. And he tells Sammy Guevara he loves him and he's told to shut up. Jericho points out, we all watch Dynamite. So we saw what you were trying to do with the towel. MJF says, no, no, no. I was just trying to get rid of the sweat on my brow. Ortiz takes over. He calls MJF and Wardlow assets. But as human beings, that's debatable. He says he likes Wardlow. No changes to Wardlow. MJF, you're growing on me. Like a fungus, but you are growing on me. And he asks Sammy to shake MJF's hand. He said, we don't choose the hand we're dealt. This was Chris's decision, not ours. Sammy, you need to be the better man. And he tells him, you're better than him and you know it. Sammy trusts Chris. He will shake his hand, but he warns Chris, if one more thing happens, I will quit. And he shakes MJF's hand. We think it's all peaceful. But then Jake Hager has a question. Hmm. Why is this guy still staring at me? 
Looking at Wardlow, Wardlow says, you've been staring at me. And Jericho plays Peacemaker and agrees, no more staring at one another. MJF points out that he's facing the guy that beat Jericho twice. Just a nice little subtle dig. There should always be these little jabs from MJF about his superiority. And they all get together and they join in a group middle finger. Yeah, their version of the fist. I really like this. I, I mean, the continued push-pull of, you know, the are they together, aren't they together within the inner circle continues. We've seen, like, Jericho do this with, you know, somebody like a Kevin Owens uh, on a singles basis. Now he's extending that same sort of story and philosophy to a number of different personalities within the group. And I think it's that much more entertaining because you have... I think they've done a really good job of like crafting individual personalities and individual motivations for every single member of the group down to like Jake Hager and Wardlow, just even in the end here, having their little moment, I thought was really adorable. Alex Marvez was with FTR and Tully Blanchard. Cash Wheeler takes the responsibility for the loss to the young bucks. Tully says, I wasn't there. It's not just your fault. We're invincible when we're together they make fun of a bunch of people jumping off top ropes in battle royals, which was kind of a funny unifying line. And they compare themselves to an 82 Ford Bronco with Mario Andretti driving. Oh, uh, that's bad, right? Well, Mario Andretti was a world-class driver. Didn't he die in a crash? Uh, Mario Andretti did not die in a... You're thinking of a... Dale Earnhardt, or maybe several other drivers. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. He's still very yeah. much alive. Mario's alive. His Mi- Michael Andretti was his son. I, oh. I I remember Michael Andretti more than Mario Andretti because there actually was a time that I did follow uh, uh, Kart. race car. Kart. Yes, that was it. <laughs> Indeed. Jacques Villeneuve. Oh, yeah. He was my he gateway, was man. That guy was like the biggest thing in can- Canadian history. Absolutely. Yeah, I remember that. Remember Greg Moore, who died? Halloween no. 1999, I think. Don't remember that one, no. Let me see if I'm right on that date. Halloween 1999. That was incredible. Uh, I can't I, believe I remember did that. Did you even need to check? Come on. No, I so, did check. So what, what, what else did he say? The four, 82 Bronco? 82 Ford Bronco. 82 Bronco. Is that a really good car or something? Um, I wasn't born, so I wasn't driving it. I would assume so. I think that was the analogy they were making. Great car, great driver. When they're all on the same page together. I see. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I'm I'm the wrong audience for that reference. Oh. Were, were you starting to go down the uh, the <laughs> rabbit hole of Canadian drivers? No. Oh. Okay. Six man tag: Eddie Kingston, the Butcher, and the Blade took on Lance Archer, Ray Phoenix, and Penta. So Archer just dives off the stage into the ring, and we have a brawl with all six involved. They got the heat on Phoenix, including the bunny getting involved, choking from the floor. And then he hit a handspring cutter on Kingston, tags in Archer. We go through the break. Jake Roberts grabs Blade by the leg, allowing Archer to hit the German suplex. Jake just seems like he's in his own world. Like, he's coming out. It's like, here's like the wild uncle of Lance Archer, who's just... I don't know what Jake's gimmick is. It's just like this guy is the wild, crazy uncle. It's the best description I can give. Uh, yeah, I mean, I 
I, I guess, uh, perfectly cast if that's what you're going for. Phoenix hit this huge somersault dive through the ropes onto Kingston, but uh, sends him into the rail. Then Phoenix misses coming off the top, allowing Butcher and Blade to lift him up for full death. And Phoenix didn't just die. He fully died and was pinned. You know, I'll be honest. I, I kind of hit a wall at this point in the show, so it was hard for me. to. So really... did Eddie Kingston. <laughs> yes. My wall, though, was maybe more uh, detrimental for, for me focusing on this match. So I can't really comment that much on the in-ring. I just, like, I just, I guess, remember, you know, I'm still a little bit startled by the fact that Lance Archer all of a sudden is just a baby face. You know, and I guess by default, like you're going up against Eddie Kingston, he not is not necessarily a good guy, but we're supposed to cheer for him. Um, I don't know. You it, it was an all right six man. Like you, you got to showcase Phoenix, who's at least in a babyface role now. So that's that's a positive. Um, yeah, you just have a lot of like odd pieces. I think that are all thrown into this right now. With that, like you have this overall breakup of the family, but. Not like uh, you've really dialed in on this story and where it's going. I, I really feel like going to Eddie Kingston and Lance Archer right now is kind of bad timing, in my opinion, because you're still trying to establish the reunion of the Death Triangle. You know, the whole feud right now should be Eddie Kingston and Butcher and the Blade versus Pac and the Lucha Brothers. There's still so much material to be there, to be to be told there, and having all of a sudden Lance Archer be injected into this whole thing, bringing up like that battle royal deal from weeks ago that nobody remembers i i think just kind of muddies everything up maybe they're gonna need backup and we're gonna see pack and shack pack and shack pack and shack huh archer just kills everyone after the match he blasts the blade suplexes them and then the blackout gets stopped when the butcher makes the save and they just cut to jake who was all out of breath just Taking this all in. Backstage, Nyla Rose and Jade Cargill are beating the hell out of Red Velvet. So Serena Deeb and Big Swole make the save. And that prompts Ivelisse and Diamante to get involved, uh, messing around with Deeb and Swole. Uh, and we will get to that uh, follow-up for next week uh, later on. But first, Abaddon took on Tesha Price. Uh, Abaddon has won five straight matches. Uh, she also had the red and green eyes uh, fitting for the season. Oh, Christmas uh, look. <laughs> yeah. So Abaddon in the festive spirit. You think they celebrate uh, Christmas wherever Abaddon's from? Why Why wouldn't you? I mean, it's a, it's a, a holiday and celebration of the birth of Christ. Well, um, there's always, you know, different forms of celebration that That's you true. can um, partake in. She gets, uh, Price gets swarmed. She's hit with an STO and Abaddon finishes her off with, uh, the widow's peak and wins in a minute 12 and continues to attack ramming Price's head into the mat until Hikaru Shida came out with a kendo stick, nailing her with it, helps Price to her feet and Abaddon raises up and stares down Hikaru Shida. Yeah. She does the take her set up as Shida runs away. Really good intensity from Abaddon. You know, I'm I'm still really, uh, I guess I haven't really seen too many of her full matches, so I can't really tell you how much of her act, um, uh, you know, is is complete yet. But certainly her entrance and her mannerisms are completely there. Like they're excellent. So it's a pretty. I, I think she's a really cool character, and I already 
Like the automatic comparison is going to be of, of Abaddon's presentation versus the fiend. And for whatever reason, I, I think this is a granted much shorter one. It's not like it's the main story on the show, but um, I enjoyed this a lot more than I did Randy Orton and Bray on Monday. The fiend for his entire, you know, run has really battled. I think overproduction, you know, down to like the stupid red light, like just all the firefly Funhouse segments that don't, make a lick of sense this is just like a crazy character in a very real sports like environment and all you really need is just like it's it's like kind of old school undertaker you know it's just the the performer is all you really need to to sell you on the gimmick so it's a really understand you know easy to understand story where hikaru shida is having to face her fears to face the demon but it's ultimately to me a big test for shida and how good her acting is. That to me will, is sort of the, like the biggest challenge. A helicopter lands outside holding Kenny Omega and Don Callis. They blow past Alex Marvez to come out to the ring. It's the big elaborate entrance with Justin Roberts introducing Kenny. And this is the Lex Luger thing he was teasing. Because uh, Luger arrived on the USS Intrepid in a via helicopter. Oh, and this they landed in the helicopter. Yes, because uh, when you when you say transportation vehicles for Lex Luger, you think the bus, which the bus was on Tuesday. Yeah, well, Luger Luger's a no, that, no, it's it's right. Like it was the USS Intrepid on. He's the... really got everything right. He's got the bus, he's got the chopper, he's got the boat. Yeah, uh, so yeah. look at that. Um, a man of many forms of transportation. So Don starts the promo and first off, Shivani says he has never been so disgusted since he entered this business in 1983. And I went through 2000 in WCW. Don doesn't understand why everyone, including Tony Khan are so upset. And he says, welcome to the wrestling business kid. And he says, people are calling this the Montreal screw job. Well, I was in Montreal and the stakes were much bigger for winter is coming. And Midway through this promo, it took me back to late 2005. And do you know who the big the big comedian was in 2005? Uh, big comedian. Let me think about this. Was it uh, super popular? Uh, Anthony, you almost Je- said it. Jezelnik? No, 2005. Dave Chappelle. It was Dane Cook. This was the height of Dane Cook. And what I remember most is I I bought this guy's album, okay, on a CD. And I remember listening to it with my friends. And then they announced Dane Cook is going to be on Saturday Night Live. And I remember, man, this is going to be great. And then I tuned into Saturday Night Live. And what I heard was like the greatest hits from the album. And this promo, like this was just pretty much lifted from Tuesday's promo. Very, like almost verbatim. Like it's, it was not, not, these are not like people that are not thinking about this. So it was done for some purpose. I just don't know what purpose it was. It was thinking too deeply into this. You're not thinking too deeply. I mean, it was not. Do do you feel like we had a great promo and we think no one's going to see this on impact. So we're going to redo it the next night. Like it just seemed very strange. It was like to the very lines, uh, uh, mainly from Callus, but it was like directly lifted from 24 hours earlier. I actually thought it was a worse version, like a pre-rehearsal version of what we got on Tuesday. Well, this one would have been cut first. Yeah. Last week. And yeah. then, he, you know, he he honed it down because, yeah, it was 
the better promo was Tuesday in the in the the truck. Uh, are you going to go through the promo? Or should we just like dissect it because it was essentially well, it was just thing. you know, Callus pretty much. If you saw the Impact promo, this was it. Omega said he never begged Tony Khan to help his friends and family like others did. He plotted this for over a year, put over the title. It was a performance last week, comparing it to fine art. Um, and it was a big plot. Moxley fell for it, which was the most important thing. And he busted up his eye, which he pointed out Tuesday. And no one kicks out of the one-winged angel, which I think ultimately someone will. And then right down to can you do the thing? And he did the good night and goodbye. It was just a very perplexing promo, um, which I just I just don't know what the thinking was that went into this because they did it on purpose. So what was the purpose? You know, I think on some level, like redoing some of your shtick between the two shows is perfectly fine because there's going to be plenty of people, the majority probably, you know, who wouldn't have seen the Tuesday promo. I think, though, knowing that AEW has does so much for his hardcore audience that I mean the whole angle is built upon the idea that people are well aware of Impact's ex- existence and so much other history you know like AEW books many of their angles for people that watch everything they know their New Japan history they know their WCW uh, Jim Crockett promotions history they know they know wrestling they book wrestling for the wrestling fans so I was disappointed that we at least didn't get another different wrinkle here no, knowing that so much of their audience probably at least got wind of their of the, of the Tuesday appearance, um, this did not build on it. This was not any different, and again, it was worse than the Tuesday one because I what I liked about Tuesday was that Jerick, uh, sorry, uh, what is it, um, Omega, he had justification for attacking Moxley when he said, "What would you do if somebody laid a hand on your uncle or your dad?" I forget what he said. Like yeah. he was justifying turning heel you know in his mind the the gentleman's uh agreement was out the window the moment you laid a hand on don Callis, kenny didn't even have that justification here you know he basically played it straight more a lot more straightforward heel without that sort of like very interesting maybe logic attached to his heel action so um a little bit disappointing in that sense next week on the show we've got cody rhodes against angelico Matt Hardy and Private Party against Hangman, John Silver and Alex Reynolds, Kazarian and Daniels against The Acclaimed, and Serena Deeb and Big Swole against Ivelisse and Diamante. And uh, next week is a live show, and I'm sure over the next week they can announce more, but uh, not not a really stacked lineup for next week. Maybe not compared to, like, you know, these couple weeks with all these major things, so... Um, they have some some days to go, you know. I, I think everybody's still very curious about Kenny's next move with Don Callis, and and maybe they'll announce something during the week. They also laid out the the following three weeks uh, the themes of the show. So uh, we've we've got next week's lineup. December twenty third, there's going to be an NBA game on TNT. So there will be a dynamite that they're promoting as the Dynamite Holiday Bash, which will air at either 10 p.m. or whenever the Celtics-Bucks game ends. December 30th is going to be New Year's Smash Night 1 with special commentator Chris Jericho. And then January 6th, going against the big NXT New Year's show, will be New Year's Smash Night 2, where Snoop Dogg will be the guest. So wait, one of them is New Year's Evil? That's what NXT has? NXT is New Year's Evil on January 6th. How is it? Wait, New Year's Evil? Like, shouldn't that be New Year's Eve? Shouldn't that be closer to before? 
January? Well, it's 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 evil. Um, <laughs> it's not following the regiment of a calendar. Gotcha. It's okay. its own. It that, decides when the year ends. Yeah, it's the Abaddon calendar. Yeah. Um, it, NXT is deciding. You know what? Twenty twenty. Let's extend it by six days. Why can't not? have enough of this year. Why not? It's been a great year. So yeah, ten o'clock start potentially for Dynamite. Do you think that? Oh, hurt? what does that mean for us? Probably a long night, or maybe we just start. I don't know. We just do it the next day, perhaps. Yeah, I mean, that kind of will be. We'll probably have a bit of a holiday schedule ourselves. We got our our big Christmas show the next You're day. You're right. How are we going to do that? We'll worry about this December twenty second. <laughs> yeah. Main event was MJF against Orange Cassidy with the diamond, the dynamite diamond ring at stake after last week's battle royal. Uh, MJF immediately stomps him down and breaks the sunglasses, and he's controlling him until uh, a stun dog millionaire is hit. But then Orange misses the orange punch, hitting his hand into the post, and this became MJF's target all match long, destroying this man's right hand. He was bending at it. He placed it around the ring turnbuckle. Um, just great, like, just working over the hand here. We also had the inner circle at ringside, and Guevara ran Orange Cassidy into the post, and MJF just continues attacking the hand. The other baby faces from the locker room come out to back up the best friends who are outnumbered as Cassidy makes his big comeback with a Tope Suicida and Tornado DDT, followed by the Deep Impact. One sequence I really enjoyed was MJF, who hit a shoulder breaker, followed by a powerbomb, and then Orange Cassidy kicked out of the power bomb, but he kicked out using the good shoulder to put his weight on to mm. kick out of it, which maybe it was a coincidence, but he did it. So he's getting all the credit for it. Uh, there was a springboard swanton by Cassidy to the inner circle on the floor. And we were getting Jericho with the bat, uh, Ortiz with the mad ball. And MJF catches him with the heat seeker as he reenters, tries to use the rope for leverage, but gets caught. And MJF is tossed the bat with referee Bryce Rumsberg's back turned and he throws the bat and does the Eddie spot, but Cassidy doesn't grab it. So then Cassidy does the Eddie spot and Bryce catches MJF with the bat, but instead of throwing the match out, he just throws the bat out and orange hits him with the beach break for a near fall. He gets caught in the salt of the earth. He's pounding down on the hand, but Cassidy is able to escape and hits the orange punch while selling the hand because he used the bad hand to hit the orange punch. MJF kicks out, so orange hits a second one with the bad hand. Wardlow gets the MJF's foot on the bottom rope. There's a big brawl, and out of nowhere comes Miro, who attacks Orange Cassidy and is giving Dominic a run for his fashion sense. Puts his uh, hands in his pockets with Kip as they watch MJF roll over and pin Orange Cassidy. So MJF gets the diamond... A ring for another year. I thought this was a really entertaining match. I think maybe some of the overbooking and the finish is going to bother some people. On a TV show, I can really excuse it because it's meant to set up your other programs. You have Orange uh, Cassidy, of course, with Miro. And I I think having MJF with that ring for another year only makes sense. It's like it, the gimmick lives with a heel like him. Uh, he's done so well with it that I can't see anybody else really achieving the same level i think mjf is an incredibly underrated in-ring performer uh you know we talk about his promos everybody talks about his promos all the time but when he has these like matches like this his intensity is very impressive his 
technique is really impressive. And uh, I thought this was a match that showcased that, along with, of course, Orange Cassidy's fantastic babyface uh, fire and comebacks. I thought I, I thought both were great in the match. I thought like MJF just controlling the match in in the heel role. I just thought like he has such a great command of the flow of the match, and Cassidy was such a phenomenal babyface for him. I thought these two had great chemistry. I, I really liked it. I'm I was with you. Like yeah, there was a lot going on at the end, but it was never to me where it was taking away from my enjoyment of the match. I will caution and say. That when we get to Miro and Kip Sabian against the best friends, this better be the tag match of all tag matches. Why? Because we've gone through so much to get there? It has been months to get to this tag match. Have they and not I'm... done the tag itself? Like, it almost feels like they've moved, they've moved past that, and it's now Miro and Orange Cassidy that's the program. Well, I'm more interested in seeing Miro and Cassidy than I am seeing Miro and Kip Sabian against the best friends. Although in the right setting, like, the the... They can have a very good match, but it just seems like this has gone on for a long time. It has, and with story elements that I don't think have been all that endearing for Miro, unfortunately. Thankfully, all the all the physical things that Miro has done has been, maybe aside from that first match, uh, have, have been really good. Like, he just shows up and just, like, kicks ass and has that great physical charisma about him, even in that very obnoxious Versace shirt. Miro then destroyed the security members that came out, throwing one guy off the stage, which led to Tony yelling, it's Christmas, and these men have families. I hope they weren't watching. Not if they're over 50, but the rest <laughs> might have seen it. And then MJF is just yelling into the camera, I beat him clean in the middle. And we go off the air with Miro looking like a maniac with the sweat with the sweater. Yeah. A, a probably very expensive, uh, ugly-looking sweater. I enjoyed Dynamite tonight. It was uh, overall, you know, a pretty eventful show. You had a great return of Sting. Um, the the Kenny thing is maybe disappointing if you were expecting something different from what you saw on Tuesday. But if you didn't see Tuesday, or you know, if you just wanted to see Kenny on the show, I think you would have quite liked it. It was a good follow-up to last week. I thought. Yeah, I mean. Like, I, I didn't think it was um, a blow-away segment with Omega and Callus, but that is the big angle in wrestling mm -hmm. at, at the moment. So, um, overall, I love that tag match at the beginning. Like, that was just a phenomenal match. Um, I enjoyed the main event, too. I thought those were, like, the strongest matches on the show. The tag match was, you know, we, we are very spoiled by the match quality. There would have been times, like, that match would have been talked about for months afterwards. And it's it's almost like we just... Expect it now uh, with certain combinations. I agree. Uh, no weaknesses on the show, I thought. Maybe aside from the um, sh Shaq. The Shaq thing was pretty <laughs> underwhelming for me. But it was um, Shaq on, on TV. That's true. They did get him. Uh, let's go to the forum. Tonight's show generated a 7.82 rating. Uh, Stevie writes, a pretty good episode. I have serious, in capital letters, issues with the security AEW had on TV tonight. What happened to Atlas Security? I missed their mullets, gold chains, and ability to maintain order. Well, I don't think the Atlas crew were, was getting dumped off the stage. Probably not, no. They would have handled this. Adam from the street says, we all learned tonight that Miro and Dominic Mysterio <laughs> have the same taste in sweaters. What do you guys think Dominic's favorite video game is? Guys, it's all about Shaq Fu. 
<laughs> All right. Uh, he's back. Our own Shaquille O'Neal. Brandon from New Jersey. My dearest Ann Rands. What's up, bros? Been a minute since we spoke. Ann Just Rand. wanted to check in. Was watching the AEW, and man, a lot of smoke and mirror stuff going on. From AARP Stinger, American Association of Retired People, to Shaq getting humiliated without Charles Barkley doing so, said humi- doing said humiliating, it just made me ask this question. Why does AEW need all of this in between good wrestling? Is the high quality of wrestling not enough? Just my thoughts. It's not enough. Not enough that they want to attract an audience beyond the, t- the audience that's watching them every single week. That ultimately is their goal, to expand the base that they, they've managed to retain up until this point. Do you think, because I was thinking about this today, was that this week between Sting and the promotion of Shaq, like those are two uh, elements to the show that you would think could attract a older audience. Mm-hmm. Do you think that there would be uh, any of that kind of uh, sampling or do you feel that things are just like that is the guaranteed demo for NXT every week? And I'm not saying they necessarily uh, tie NXT this week, but do you see like these kinds of experiments? Like, is that, should that be a priority for them of going after an older audience that will increase their, their overall viewership? I think this is, I mean, this is really the first week we're going to be able to see the effects of the sting in AEW. So I think that'll tell you a whole lot about what the possibility is. I certainly think that they made a great attempt tonight by not just bringing sting on, but telling you that, Hey, we remember, we remember the same wrestling that you guys grew up on. This is not Sting all of a sudden having the NWO come out to help him, like for no fucking reason at WrestleMania. This is a, a product that respects the wrestling that you grew up on. So. And all the legends, like they are not there to be punchlines on the, the show. Like they treat all the legends as such. Like they're yeah. not there to be uh, punchlines. But certainly nobody on the level of Sting, you know, like. Tully's great, like Jake is great, but like Sting is is a different level, especially being treated the way he is. So I'm very curious to see what that rating would be for that quarter. Um, I, I, I really don't know. I don't know if Shaq is the key to getting that 50 plus audience. Cause like, why are they watching NXT? NXT doesn't have any of this shit. Uh, let's move on. Oh, Unless you want to go through, yeah, do we have meanderings? Yeah, we do. You're not going to go through all of them. Is it time to throw Matt Hardy into the lake of reincarnation and have him come back as a road agent? The rumor of Yoel Romero fighting Huntington Beach City Council City Council member Tito Ortiz, the right move, or is Combate Americas trying to legally assassinate a political figure? The holiday season nears, and what a lovely time it's going to be. The mirth and the tidings of great joy. The stockings hung with tender and care. I cherish this time of year. I'm just a man with a Christmas wish. But alas... It's a dream deferred. I think uh, I think we have our other politician that's campaigning here. Uh, P.S. It wouldn't be nice. I wouldn't be nice if I didn't pledge my fealty to you, Mister Pollack, spelled incorrectly, by saying congratulations on your new arrival. Well, thank you, Brandon from New Jersey. Fealty. I don't know. I've never seen that word before. Well, Brandon's uh, Brandon's uh, he's rewritten the dictionary. So, hmm. thank you. Noah from Vaughn, after last week's show, this definitely felt like a slight step down in terms of quality, but even still, it was a very enjoyable episode. 
Really top tier main event, fun opener, and the ultimatum segment was super entertaining. It seemed Kenny and Don essentially cut the same promo they did on Impact, but I didn't really mind because only 250,000 people saw it last night anyway, and it was a really good promo by both guys. 8 out of 10 show tonight. One thing I just say is that I watched Raw Monday and the difference in pacing between the two hours tonight and even the first two hours of Raw was astounding. AEW does such a great job at making these two hours fly by, leaving you wanting more. Uh, That is absolutely the case. And take it from people who have to write down every single moment of events that happen. Like, I can't rest when I'm watching AEW because every single moment there's something going on. Raw, it's like, you know, I could skip half the show because half of it is like recap videos or entrances. So it's certainly an urgency in AEW um, throughout the entire thing, making you never want to change the channel for every second. Noah writes after last week's show. That, oh, sorry. Uh, Andrew from St. John. I am for now enjoying the heel promos from Kenny Omega and Don Callis, but would like a clear sign where things are going. The main event was fun, but I was hoping for the orange win, and the finish was a groaner for me. The angle with Abaddon and Sheeta was like a zombie movie, but I loved it. Again, AEW observed a hard one-match limit for the women's division, and that match was only 70 seconds long. It's really unacceptable how little space they are trying to shoehorn multiple feuds for the women into. I mean, it was yeah. tonight was establishing Abaddon. That you know the direction they're going in, and it's it's going to pay off with a with a title match. Um, well, what's what's the other feud like? I guess like what is it? Um, um, Serena Deeb's currently involved it with uh, Jade Cargill. It looks like that really wasn't a whole lot. They set up the tag, yeah, for next week, and then the other thing was, yeah, like the the stuff with Brandy tonight. Yeah, I mean, if you're talking about you know how how important the women's roster feels in AEW compared to how important it feels in NXT or Impact, it's it's not going to be uh, that much of an argument. Even like, you know, in comparison to the main roster, WWE, uh, that's definitely AEW's biggest weakness. So. That's, that's to me like a large picture issue. But mm-hmm. tonight specifically, like Abaddon winning quick, I, I have no problem with that. That, well, that I, match didn't need to be five minutes. Sure, but I guess Andrew is, is mostly talking about like, more, you know, women wrestlers being featured in prominent roles. Um, and I mean wrestlers, not Brandy doing a cutscene in the back or with Shaq or something like that. Um, yeah, that's a pretty big segment, like the Shaq segment. Yeah, but it's not women's wrestling, which, can, you know, continues to be the... Anyway, it's a it's an argument for perhaps a, a later time. We got a mug in finally who says the inner circles come to Jesus meeting planted the seeds for a Sammy Guevara face turn. Kenny Omega, on the other hand, is reinvigorated with his eagle maniacal promo and having Don Callis by his side could only mean great things going forward. MJF versus Orange Cassidy was a very good main event with Miro looking the best he's looked since coming to AEW. The Shaq Randy sit down promo was intriguing. Now that the shock has worn off of Sting's TNT homecoming, I'm approaching his AEW run with some trepidation. That said, his interactions with Cody and, by extension, Darby did foreshadow potential matches with both men. Yes. All right. Well, there you go. Um, A lot of interesting talking points coming out of AEW Dynamite and where they're going with a very ambitious, I think, um, set of shows that they're they're going forward with to try and make, you know, this was, you know, we're talking about uh, a year ago next week was that infamous December 18th show where you had uh, NXT won the night and it went off the air with 
the Dark Order dominating things, and that was really a low point for AEW this year. I mean, they are, first of all, they're not taking any weeks off. They're presenting new episodes of Dynamite throughout the holidays, and I think that you're seeing that this is their aggressive push, and they're going to go outside of the box that they've created for themselves, I think, in order to find all those new eyeballs. Um, Last week was step one, and tonight uh, we're going to see what the impact of last week provides um, and what kind of number they do tonight with all the different things that they had promoted. They had a laundry list of segments that they promoted and matches tonight. Um, the key ones to me being Sting and Shaq and how well those segments perform. Mm-hmm. I'm not expecting this week to nearly do as well as last, but uh, some of the demos I think are, are will be interesting to look at. I mean, last week is, was almost kind of unfair. You had you know such a major match in Moxley and Omega to cont- contend with. But um, you can certainly look at this week's rating to see if they, how much audience they retained for a lesser main event. Um, whether I think not- it'd be a big disappointment if this was back to just a normal level. Like after all the buzz of last week, like you would think that there would be a lot of anticipation for this week's show. So yeah, it's going to be an inter- interesting number that comes out tomorrow. Yeah. Okay, well, we can send everybody over to go check out Up Next as they review tonight's episode of NXT coming out of War Games. And Way and I are going to be back on Friday night live at 10.15 p.m. Eastern Time for all members of the Post Wrestling Cafe. Um, You know, Impact Wrestling on Twitch, big deal. We were breaking records last week on Rewind to SmackDown. Oh, my God, the return of John Pollock? Massive draw. You came down from your chopper... Then you got into a bus for some reason, and we, yes. we did the whole podcast from your bus. Maybe and this Friday I'll do the exact same recap I did last week. Just not as good. Yeah, I'll do the, the worst one. Yeah. So we will be back on Friday night uh, looking ahead. It's a very busy weekend. We've got the the New Japan card at Budokan Hall Friday, uh, Triple Mania, Impact's got a show on Saturday, and of course, uh, Wei Ting and Pauline with Total Recall, which is the biggest show of the weekend. Yes, of course. Okay, that's it for us. Uh, Thanks to everybody for tuning in. Check out postwrestling.com for all of your latest news, postwrestlingcafe.com, and that is it. May you all seek out your holiday sweaters. I don't know where I was going with that one. That's (laughs) it. Good night.